This is Claiming Your Voice with Janice Garrard. In this podcast, I feature guests with passionate stories of hope, inspiring others to claim their voice in a world where we can be bold together. Today, my guest is Katie Miner. She is Mary Catherine Miner, also known as Katie. She's born in Wuhu, China during the one-child policy in 1996. Katie was adopted by Carol Miner and Jack Stelzer, and she moved to Houston, Texas when she was five months old. While Katie was growing up in Houston, she faced challenges with her interracial adoptions, such as struggling with finding her racial identity and being abandoned by her birth family. Katie is now a licensed social worker practicing in Texas, and she is planning to provide therapy to those who have been adopted. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today, and I am excited to hear about your story and your journey through your racial identity growing up in a predominantly uh, major majority population. I'll let you speak. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So just to have some more details about my story, I really don't have a lot of information about me, so I kind of played it off as a mystery. You know, I had the 23andMe DNA test, and it said like 97% Chinese, but I always thought, oh, you know, when I was growing up, oh, I'm 50% Italian and 50% Chinese, even though I don't look Italian at all. Um, But a little bit more about my backstory. I was born, they told me, February 21st. Um, because they found me on February 22nd, and they thought that I was so little. So they just determined that I had just been born the day before. So I was found in front of a police station. Um, There was no note or no information about what I was found in, like a box or a blanket or anything like that. There was no information, and I was just taken to the orphanage. Um, I spent about five months in the orphanage. I Really, when I was there, I got the nanny's attention by cooing and being happy all the time. And so I think that reflects kind of the personality that I have now. My mom always told me that the woohoo girls have the are the prettiest girls. So that always gave me more confidence about where I came from. In the orphanage, they um, give us names. So I was named Wu Chong, which means precious jade. So Wu comes from Wuhu, and then Chong is precious jade. And so when my mom went to go get me a little bit about her, she was a 45-year-old woman. She was single, and she wanted to adopt from a place that she had the opportunity to because she was a little bit older. She was single. And so she had met somebody who had adopted from China and she had asked them, like, how was it? You know, I, I'm a single woman. I have my business. Um, how do you juggle it? And so I was raised when I was five months by a nanny. Um, but my mom, when she got me, she went with seven other people. And it was a group and they traveled together. They picked us up from Hefe, which is the um, capital of Anhui province. We all went our separate ways or they all went their separate ways after that. Um, We still kind of stayed within the adoption community through the families with children from China events. But it was just kind of like, oh, once in a while, we'll do the Chinese New Year festival or mid-autumn moon festival or that kind of stuff just to 
connect it with other people who were adopted and their families. So when you did the, um, oh, I wanted to ask you this. You said uh, something about being Italian. So did that come up in your DNA? No. Okay. So that was a story so, that you told yourself. Yes. When I was okay. really little, when I was younger, because I just got DNA tested when I was um, in my mid twenties, when I was really younger and we didn't have that technology, my mom was just like, oh, you can pick your identity. And I really love pasta. And so I said, oh yeah, I'm 50% Italian. And they said, okay, what is the other 50? I said, Chinese. And so it was just a big running joke because I, again, didn't have any, you know, history. I didn't know where I came from. So it was just kind of a mystery. That's really kind of fun because um, what do you think about your mom saying that you could pick your own identity? It was, it gave me more power because before it was just kind of like, okay, you know, you were abandoned, you have no family, but now it's like, oh, reclaiming it. Like I can be who I want to be. I was told when I was traveling abroad um, in China, I studied abroad in 2017 when I was in college and I asked them like, oh, what's my identity? Like I, I was able to choose and they said, no, no you are strictly American. And that was kind of a shocker for me because I'm obviously Chinese and I was born there, but to them, I was an American. I had kind of an interesting experience because I looked Chinese and I blended in, but every time I had opened my mouth, they were like, what? <laughs> I couldn't speak the language correctly. They identify you as an American, not as a Chinese person. Do they recognize, though, do you feel that you did have Chinese roots? I think they didn't because the culture is so different. You know, the American, you're individualized. It's like pick yourself up by your bootstraps, that mentality. In China, it's like, oh, you really value your ancestors and we work together and we're collaborative. It's kind of a different culture shock in a way when I went over there and seeing the differences. So you say they honor their ancestors over there. Now, because then you're like a displaced Chinese person, mm -hmm. then do they not want to claim you as a Chinese I don't think so, but when, even when I was really small and um, of course, when my mom was traveling with me um, as a baby in China, they would always say, they would pat my head, she told me, and they would say, lucky girl. So they always knew that those who were being adopted by foreigners were lucky girls because mm. they got the opportunity to leave China and go out of the country, whether that be the US or another place and have another life, more opportunities. But it's just taking away from also kind of the grief and also the mourning that comes with being adopted and being abandoned. Mm -hmm. Do you wanna um, talk about that? Yes. Okay. So, you know, being abandoned was, been pretty hard on me you know I 
ever since I was little, I was told that I was adopted and I could see it. You know, my parents and I, we don't look like each other. My mom's white, my dad's white, my family's white. And I kind of stick out like a sore thumb. And when I was growing up, people would be say, oh, why don't you look like your family? And I would say, oh, I'm adopted. And they would say, oh, what about your birth family? Did they abandon you? And all the flood of questions opened. And it was as a young kid, it was a lot to take in. And I felt like I didn't have a community or other people who were Asian to support me and, you know, validate my experiences. It was just kind of me being on my own, like standing up for who I am being Chinese. And then the abandonment it always comes up in the weirdest places. For instance, you know, at the doctor's office, you'll it'll say, what's your family history? Or is there any family history of any significant diseases or anything that has been passed down? And I say no. And then sometimes I get questioned about it and I'm like, yep, I was adopted. And then they're like, oh, okay. Well, do you know of anything? I said, no, I'm adopted. I was abandoned. And then it sometimes it either brings up more questions or just brings out some silence. And I think truly people are curious and they don't know that they speak out of what we, they, they cross the, those boundaries, but I don't think that they mean to. Uh -huh. And when you say, when you go to the doctor's office and you say, well, I was adopted, well, don't you know anything else? And it's like, what part of this don't you understand is what I want to say sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know there's closed adoptions as well as open adoptions where open adoptions, there's more information. But as my experiences have mentioned, I had a closed adoption, so I really don't have any information. Let's touch on two things. You know, you talk about that abandonment. What does that bring up for you when people or you have to say, well, I was abandoned? What it does that bring up for you? It brings up feelings of sadness and kind of like what led to that, like questions, more questions about, you know, could it have been the one child policy? And that kind of was something that, you know, a lot of people highlight, oh, you know, your parents wanted to keep you or your mom, your birth mom loved you. And it's mainly the birth mom. The birth mom loved you, but because of the one child policy, she couldn't keep you or due to, you know, your family situation, they couldn't keep you. But you know, it's unknown. And sometimes to help with that abandonment issue and unknown, I was told like, you can look out up at the moon and you can see a face and that could be, that's your birth mom's face. She's always watching you. That's a comforting thought to think our yeah. birth mother is, or your birth mother is watching over you. As you were growing up then, and people, you had to say, I was abandoned, and it brought up that sadness to you. Were you ever given space to think about what your birth mother may have been going through when she had to give you up? Were you allowed to have those feelings of sadness? Or were you told, oh, this is just the way it was. We're not going to think about it. I think I really wasn't given that chance. It was just kind of like, oh, it's going back to you were the lucky girl. You should be grateful for all the opportunities that you've been given. You know, I am a U.S. citizen. I have all those rights. Um, I did get a college education, but it's just like, you know, I would like to highlight both 
you know, the opportunities as well as the sadness and the grief and the loss that comes with that, you know, I'll never know who I look like or where I come from, or if I have any brothers or sisters or what my life would have been like if I stayed in China. You know, I didn't have the opportunity to say, yes, I do want to go to the U.S. or no, I want to stay here in China. It was the decision was made for me. Mm -hmm. And I think the hard thing is to think about what if, um, because I was uh, adopted from South Korea in the 60s. And I think the thing is, is that, yes, I wish that I could have been raised with my birth mother. But at that time, the country was still undergoing, you know rebuilding from the Korean War. Uh, so I'm I'm thinking maybe I wouldn't have had all of these opportunities. So yeah, it's like, it's, it's finding that balance of thought, isn't it? Because it's like, well, I wish I could have had this, but if I would have been poor, would have I been happier? Have you ever had those thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like when I'm talking about it now that, oh, you know, I should be grateful. Sometimes I do feel kind of bad for not being grateful, you know, like given all these opportunities, but I just wish that I would have been able to know something about where I came from, you know. Mm -hmm. And I want to bring up something too, when we're told, well, you should be grateful. You Mm -hmm. should be grateful that you were brought to this country. As Mm -hmm. that, I think the thing is, it's, and it just just came to me, it's not that we're not grateful. I think we are truly grateful for what we have. Mm-hmm. It's just like what you said, give us the space to question what and, may have been. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of people, you know, when I told them I wasn't born in the U.S., um, they're like, oh, there's all this mentality of, you know, you should be, you should go back to where you came from. Um, when I was a college advisor in 2019, 2020, in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, one of the students I was working with told me that all of the Chinese people should go back to China. And that kind of hit me the wrong way because, you know, I'm Chinese. And was he saying that foreigners weren't allowed to be in the country, you know? So even though I was brought here and I am a U.S. citizen, I always felt like an outsider. You always felt like an outsider? Is that Yes. Because it kind of cut out there. I I understand what you're saying. I think this is really interesting. I was going through Ancestry uh, just last night and I was looking at my adoptive family. So if all of the links are right, you know, and all these little prompts, and let's pretend that they are. So from my adoptive mother's side, they all came from like England, from Ireland. So it's like, we all came from someplace. To that student, it's like, shouldn't they all go back to where they came from? You know, it's like, that's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. And um, it was really funny because as far back as I could go for one of her great grandfathers, it would be my 10th great grandfather. He showed up as the provost of King's College at Cambridge. And I thought, (laughs) isn't that wild? So, but anyway, I brought that up because I just thought it was fun. And I wanted to share that with you because we both work in higher ed. I've heard that too. Why don't you go back to where you came from or you people? Mm -hmm. And I think what we found out is that because we have very distinctive looks from the major Mm -hmm. majority of people. So when you were growing up in uh, going to elementary school, junior high, throughout those times, did you have encounters with people who you clearly knew that the way they treated you was based on your looks? Yes. It started when I was three. And at first I didn't 
think anything of it, but they were, it was in a McDonald's playground area. And I asked the kid if I can play with them. And they said, no, you can't play with us because you're Chinese. And so even in elementary school, you would think, you know, growing up in Houston, Texas, a pretty diverse place that I would be able to fit in and feel welcome. Mm -mm. That wasn't my experience. I was primarily like the only Asian child in the grade. Maybe there was like three or four in the whole school, um, but they would have, they would put their hands near their eyes and make their eyes slanted. And they would say, ching chong, ching chong to me, even as a little kid. And I knew I was different. And I would go to my mom and I would tell her, you know, these kids are being mean to me, what's going on. And she would just tell me, oh, you know, people can be rude, but it was more of a racist thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's very hard to tell a little kid that other kids and sometimes the world can view you just based on your looks. Mm -hmm. And even growing up in middle school and high school, they used to say, oh yeah, she's a foreign exchange student or she can't speak any English because I was very shy. And I thought that's the way I was supposed to be shy, quiet, and kind of reserved. And everybody, there's the stereotype of, you know, being good at math and being good at school. So I thought I had to excel and be like that to fit in. And I had made pretty okay grades, but I wasn't very good at math. But it was just hard because I had to try and people was like, oh, it comes easy to you. You're smart. You'll get it. But it's it wasn't just like that. It's just kind of having to prove myself. And it's also the model minority that I've learned. Mm -hmm. um, it's a term where, you know, the Asians are seen as a model minority, almost to whites, like, oh, you know, they're quiet, they make good grades, they fit in, you know, they can become doctors, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. but they don't make waves. Yes. Yeah. So that's a really big myth that's been uh, perpetuated throughout our society. And I think too, what you brought up about like you fit that you were trying to fit the Asian stereotype of being quiet and not speaking out. Was that ever told to you? Like, well, you're, you're Chinese, you're not supposed to be loud, or you're not supposed to be boisterous. Mm -hmm. Or was that just something you kind of internalized? I think it was just something that I internalized. I saw others and, you know, whenever someone was mean to me, I didn't know what to say. So I just said, was quiet. And then they continued to be mean to me. But I always, I, from when I was little, I was always a quiet kid. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I attribute that to just my personality and how I was. Mm -hmm. That you were just a, a quiet person. And yeah. that's funny because I'm quite the opposite. I'm loud. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't fit the Asian stereotype and I'm really not that great at math. <laughs> and I have a hard time driving. <laughs> I, I, that is something that is true. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so funny. When you said too, that you celebrated some of the Chinese New Year's, one of the first Asian, I would say observances that I'd ever gone to, uh, I was teaching in a rural school and a lady had adopted two children from China. She had they celebrated, is it called the Harvest Moon Festival? Yes. So it was really neat. And they did that every year. And they had a balloon, a red balloon that they would release. She said, and what we're doing is we're sending good thoughts to our birth mothers and sending them love. And I thought, what a neat celebration. 
and what she had uh, done for her children. Now, I know there's probably people who would push back on that. And what do you say to that group of people that are still what they call, um, I don't know, I think they call it like in the adoption fog that they that they believe that they had a happy childhood, da, 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 you know, it's kind of like they're trying to discount the goodness that came through in the adoption. Mm-hmm. But what would you say to those people? I think it ends because everyone's adoption story is different, but the themes like the abandonment, the issues with identity are present in everyone's story. Um, But there are, you know, some great things that happen with adoption. Like, you know, I am very proud to have been in the U.S. And, you know, I'm very glad to be able to practice social work and, you know, the traditions that my parents have tried to show me like with the autumn moon festival we also had uh we would go out to the moon and we would drink tea and there was one time where the moon wasn't out so my family brought a yellow balloon and there was also like the new year's festival but i think it's really a balance like you have to highlight both the good and the kind of the negative things when it comes to adoption and it's just everyone like i mentioned everyone takes it differently some people Um, don't really think about being adopted or their story or where they came from. Other people are thinking about it constantly. It's just a mix and everyone is different. Do you see yourself as being an adoption advocate for adoption then? Do you see yourself being like that or do you see yourself being more as as an advocate for the adoptee once they are adopted? Hmm, That's challenging because I can see the both sides I know um, in my mom's personal story, she had a really hard time being pregnant and being being able to adopt was the only way for her to be a mom. And that was one of her dreams. Um, it was, although I do have to say, when it comes to adopting interracially, I really think that there needs to be more of a cultural and racial awareness when it, especially when, you know, people who are white or adopting other children of color and it comes like oh you're a white savior you know you're you're saving the kid that rhetoric needs to go away because you know that's really not helpful I do see the story and what the adopted child thinks you know Um, so it is it is very complicated (laughs) Mm -hmm. there's many layers to it many facets if you will Uh, so I don't think that there's one I guess my own opinion is, is that there's not one right answer. Right. And I think what's uh, sometimes difficult is to hear all of the arguing going on within the adoption community. Mm -hmm. I really wish that we could come together and like appreciate everyone's story and what everyone thinks. I, (laughs) I think everyone, it should be a community, you know. I would agree with that. I have witnessed in some of these Facebook groups, uh, people who are so against adoption that they will go to the mat, so to speak, in wrestling terms, to really argue and to almost uh, speak out against those who are for adoption. Mm -hmm. And so like what you said, if we could come together and have that understanding of both sides. 
and a, a conversation where both parties are willing to listen to the other person because it's very hard to change someone's viewpoint if they're very stuck on their beliefs or they won't listen to others. So you do social work. Yes. So I'm wondering the things that you witness in social work, like, I, I guess I'm kind of lost for words here is like, do you see any, I don't want to say similarities, but things that happen in biological families that happen in adoptive families that would be parallel to each other. And I guess what where I'm going with this is that people will say, well, I was adopted and I was raised in this abusive home. That's why I'm against adoption. But do you see abusive situations in biological families where everybody's related? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really, it just depends on the family, their dynamics, their environment, where they live, you know, the school system. It's it's just, it's like you, the kids are put into an environment and their parents or their guardians and their environment impacts them, you know. And I do see uh, kind of the similar issues of where do I come from? Who am I with? or what, how do I identify myself with kids that are biracial? So let's say, you know, mom is one race and dad is another race and they're trying to combine. They have a kid and the kid is like, well, do I feel like I'm more mom or do I feel like I'm more dad? That kind of stuff, that identity. So it's like, how do you address that then as a social worker? So we always, or for me, for social work, always try to have the client's best interests at heart. So ultimately the client or the person you're working with is responsible for deciding who their identity or how they identify themselves. And as a clinician, it's my responsibility to make sure that when they grow up, they don't see it as, oh, negative, like, oh, I never was exposed to X race because it was always shamed or something like that. Mm -hmm. I should or as a clinician, you should always be able to explore that with the client. Like, oh, you know, this is what, you know, one race does or one culture does. And this is what another culture does. And you have the opportunity as the client or as the person we're working with to choose. So you as a social worker, are you're helping these uh, children to celebrate who they are and to explore, mm-hmm. to explore that. I think that is, that's really wonderful. I, think like when I was growing up, we didn't have that opportunity, you know, because it's like you were adopted into this family and this is who you are. I really think that like a good social worker always um, goes on a journey with the client, like whoever you're working on, you're, you're, you're not the expert. I mean, you're, (laughs) you have the credentials, (laughs) but the client is the expert in their own life and you're just walking with them, helping them through their journey. That's a lot of wisdom you have there saying, you know, that client, because I've heard we are the expert of our own story. We are the expert of our own life. And so you are truly putting that into practice in your work with the client and helping them to explore their lives of how they can be better people. So with that said, that sounds like it should be transferred over into the adoption community. (laughs) Everything that you're saying. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So it's like, how are we going to do that, Katie? How are we going to get that message out there, your message out there? Well, hopefully, um, I think with people sharing their own journeys and how that has affected them and people being open to hearing everyone's story, I think that's what can kind of 
create or open the door to conversations um, because a lot of the times, sometimes people will invalidate others like, oh, that that didn't happen or that's not true. But you have to be able to listen and to empathize with others like, oh, okay. And not everything has to have like a fix like, oh, well, have you tried this? No, it's you have to be empathetic and listen and then, you know, give the some space to share whatever they're willing to share. Very wise words. Well, we're about out of time. What would be your parting comments for us today? My parting comments would be that adoption is a journey. And so even now, 26 years later, I'm still figuring out, you know, how do I identify myself? Um, How do I deal with those abandonment issues? How can I help others? So it's always a journey. There's going to be ups and downs. There's never a right answer. And again, it's just, I'm on along for the ride. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and your words of wisdom. And um, I want to have you back as a guest again. Yes, thank you. And you truly are your name, Precious Jade. Thank Thank you so much.